This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on June 29th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, one Republican incumbent is unseated during yesterday's runoff, while another bounces back to secure the party's nomination. State lawmakers said they'd step up to support women and children if Roe v. Wade fell. Are they ready to keep that promise? Then the story of the Choctaws and the Civil War. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's 4th Congressional District will have someone new representing them in Washington for the first time since 2011. Republican Stephen Palazzo lost his effort to retain the seat he has held for six terms. Jackson County Sheriff Mike Azell, who emerged from a pack of challengers in the initial primary, defeated Palazzo in yesterday's runoff. Azell was one of six other candidates trying to win the seat from the incumbent during the initial party primary June 7th. He secured a spot in the runoff by earning the second highest vote tally, then used the unified support of the other challengers to garner more than 53 percent of the vote yesterday. He will face Democratic candidate Johnny Dupree and Libertarian candidate Alden Patrick Johnson in November's election. In Mississippi's 3rd District, two-term incumbent Michael Guess bounced back to defeat challenger Michael Cassidy. Three weeks ago, Guess' primary night ended with him looking up at the former Navy pilot in the final vote tally. But when the dust settled last night, Guess secured two-thirds of the electorate to win the nomination. He will face Democrat Sherwaski Young in the general. And the race to determine who will go head-to-head with Congressman Benny Thompson in the 2nd District is settled. Military veteran Brian Flowers defeated fellow veteran Ronald Eller during yesterday's Republican runoff. Thompson is chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee and head of a committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Flowers lost to Thompson in 2020 and now says Thompson is trying to intimidate American patriots. To see results from yesterday's elections, visit mpbonline.org. Coming up, state lawmakers said they'd step up to support women and children if Roe v. Wade fell. Are they ready to keep that promise? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner and associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, there's information you can use to help maintain a healthy lifestyle. Just search for Southern Remedy on your favorite podcasting app. 
It is now time for Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Talking about fuel systems, fuel pumps whine due to we keep them low of fuel. So keep that tank with fuel in it so those fuel pumps don't go bad because they do not like uh, low fuel. Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10 a.m., Saturdays at 11 a.m., or anytime on the MPB Public Media app. Fix It 101 is a fun podcast with lots of home improvement information. Even if that's not your bag, all of the episodes are archived online. So if the mood strikes you or if the need motivates you, you can search your project. And yes, there is a Fix It 101 podcast for that. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Mississippi Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman has named a nine-member Senate study committee to evaluate issues related to women, children, and families. This days after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Senator Nicole Boyd, who's a Republican from Oxford, will chair the group. She tells Mississippi Edition producer Rob Lane she's excited for the opportunity. The lieutenant governor has been um, looking particularly at some of these issues that um, he named in the task force for quite some time now. The Senate has been looking at particular issues that affect family. Um, I was elected in 2020, and we have been looking at mental health, early education, equal pay, and extending postpartum services. And so we have continued our look at that. We were working on a number of issues this um, this um past summer, we have been working extensively and looking at early intervention and those. So um, the lieutenant governor asked me, I guess it was several weeks ago, to kind of look at these particular issues. And of course, this comes sort of in the shadow of the Dobbs decision that is set to change what reproductive health, what pregnancy, what childhood looks like in Mississippi. What does that mean in terms of policy moving forward? Well, I think for policy movement forward, we have been a a Senate that has been very um, pro-family in looking at mental health, looking at early education, looking at equal pay, looking at extended those postpartum coverages. And I think this gives us all the more reason to look at our policies, look at how we're doing things in Mississippi and how we are being effective um, in serving families and making sure that we are providing opportunities for women and children, particularly in birth to three. At the same time, you know, in the past several days, we've heard from so many Mississippi leaders that they see this decision as a call to action to make sure that Mississippi is doing everything possible to protect the health and the well-being of women and children. And that implies that maybe Mississippi hasn't always done everything it could do to ensure those things. Do you see shortcomings in Mississippi's past and present that you hope to potentially correct through your work on this committee? Uh, You know, absolutely. We have improvements to be made in the state of Mississippi. And um, in where we're going to be looking at, um, you know, we want to make sure that we are doing a better job at connecting women um, to opportunities, to education, job training, child care, and health care extending through those postpartum months. Um, and we want to make sure that we are increasing the availability of affordable child care and early intervention services for those children with developmental disabilities. We know that we have um, gaps 
um, in those issues, and we are dedicated to trying to um, make sure we are doing a better job in the state of Mississippi um, in those particular issues. Okay, let's get a little bit more specific. Last year, the Senate tried to push through a bill that would extend postpartum Medicaid from six weeks to 12 months. If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. It was not taken up in the House. Speaker Gunn was not interested in bringing that legislation to the floor. Is there a game plan to bring that back next year? I think you're going to see the Mississippi Senate again look at passing legislation that will um, extend coverage from to um, a year for um, mothers after they deliver children. I think we'll be looking at that issue. We'll be looking at the um, all the implications of that. And once again, um, it is something that the Senate has built very strongly about, and I think you're going to see us do that again. In the wake of the Dobbs decision, when people like Speaker Gunn have promised that they will redouble their efforts to install protections for women and children, do you think the House might be more ready to play ball on this next year than they were this year? I can't speak for um, my House colleagues or for the Speaker, but I do think that um, there's a number of House members that are really open to looking at the feasibility and the cost of extending coverage. Um, I've had conversations with many of them um, in recent weeks about that and even during the legislative session about that. So I think that is something that um, we are all going to be looking at and um, looking at the federal programs that are out there that can assist us um, in this arena. In this work, on this committee, is expanding Medicaid on the table? No, but this committee is not focused on expanding Medicaid. This committee is looking at strictly, um, we are looking at mothers and the birth to three age, particularly. The legislature is set to take a bit of a haircut in coming years in terms of revenue to play with because of the tax cuts that you passed earlier this year. How does that factor into thinking about the scope and the ambition of of what you might come up with? We feel that um, that one of the things that um, we are already um, there are there are programs out there that the state is doing that should help um, really be helping um, mothers and children and families. And so one of the roles of this committee is to look to see where there are gaps, if those programs are working, um, why those programs are not working, and um, how that we can help the existing programs we have work, and then look to see where we need additional um, funding. And we'll be looking and um, seeing what the opportunities are that we really can expand our assistance and we can really help mothers and families in the state. Is there a particular area, a particular facet of this that you're really excited to dive into that might not be on the radar of other people, something that you'd like to sort of draw attention to as something that could potentially be kind of transformative in this space? I think there's a well, actually there's a couple of issues that I'm particularly excited about diving into. Uh, one of the issues that we know is that Mississippi is not listed presently. If you pull up adoption-friendly states in this country, 
we're not listed with one of those states. Um, I want to know why. <laughs> and I hope that we can become, um, I hope that we can be transformative in becoming one, a state that is adoption friendly. Um, I also am very interested in looking at the um, foster care system of how that we can um, make sure that um, children are given appropriate services and adequate services. I'm particularly interested in seeing the um, growth of maybe the private-public partnerships that can happen in those arenas, um, knowing that this um, how that we affect families in Mississippi is not can't be just the role of government. You have to have community partnerships and working with um, with organizations in all of our communities that help us really serve families and children. So I'm very interested in seeing that. I'm particularly interested in seeing how that we grow early intervention services in the state for those that have developmental disabilities. Um, it's extremely important that we um, identify children as having those developmental disabilities early and that um, we get those children the services that they need because we know that that is um, the right thing to do, but it's also very effective in um, diminishing any um, issue um, before that child goes to school and before that child becomes um, really kindergarten ready. So we know that there is a great deal of preventative work to be done kind of in that area. Additionally, I want to make sure that we are connecting. Um, there's some programs that I've seen work across the country um, that have really worked to help um, mothers um, make sure that they are getting the job skills and the education they need to become part of the workforce and provide op better opportunities for their children. And um, I want to see what we can do to strengthen the programs that we're offering here in Mississippi in that area. We know that we had in this state a low job participation rate, and I want to make sure that mothers have, have every opportunity to make sure that they're part of the workforce that want to be part of that workforce. That's Republican State Senator Nicole Boyd of Oxford. Coming up, the story of the Choctaws and the Civil War. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Can you explain quickly what a hip pointer is? Because I've never really heard what that is. Yeah, so, you know, any kind of sport that has um, a potential for overuse injuries or um, if you're exposing yourself to a lot of force like football players. I mean, football players have gotten so big these days. It's it's really, you know, it's it's really impressive the amount of force that they can generate. So a hip pointer is basically one of those injuries. It's a it's really like a deep bruise, and it's on the ridge of the bone on the on the upper outer portion of your hip. So it's called the iliac crest. And it's really just a, a bruise over that area. It usually, after you know, getting off of that a little bit and allowing it to heal up, it does okay. But if you're a lineman and you're you know getting hit over and over again, you want to stay in the game. You can see how that would uh, 
sort of uh, throw a wrench into things. But usually you have to uh, something that's like a deep bruise on the bone itself. That's going to require you to uh, halt that activity for a while, but that's basically what it is. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Rice University history professor Faye Yarbrough's latest book is called Choctaw Confederates, the American Civil War in Indian Country. She'll be speaking about it today at noon at the two Mississippi museums. Yarbrough tells us she stumbled upon the subject matter largely by accident. I was doing research on a different project, on a um a family history project for uh, the Beams family and found some legislative documents where the Choctaws in their um, legislative uh, body were proposing a law to uh, make speaking against the Confederacy uh, treason, make it the crime of treason and therefore punishable by death. And I thought, wow, that is real commitment to the Confederate cause. What's happening here? So um, then doing more research, you know, I found that they um, were slaveholders. And I my first book was on Cherokee Indians, and they also were slaveholders. And so that wasn't so much of a surprise, but their commitment to the Confederacy was. So they were slaveholders. They raised um, troops to fight on the side of the Confederacy, There were Confederate officials who called the Choctaws their most loyal allies among um, Native peoples. And so out of all of that came came the book. Well, since they had slaves, for them, Mm -hmm. was it about maintaining the institution of slaves just like Southern uh, whites wanted? So for the Choctaws and for other um, Native peoples who were slaveholders who also sided with the Confederacy, I think, yes, in part, it was about preserving um, the enslavement of people of African descent. And also it was about preserving sovereignty. So the Confederate um, government, Confederate officials made all kinds of promises to uh, groups such as the Choctaw, about how they were going to respect their national boundaries, how they were going to respect their government, etc. So I think it's a twofold plan. They they want to keep the practice of slavery. You know, they they had written laws regarding enslaved people that were in many ways like laws that um, Southern whites in in the Confederate states had passed before. And they had an economy that used enslaved labor. So they definitely wanted to keep that practice. But they also were trying to protect um, Native sovereignty and thought this was a way that they could do that. Ultimately, how does this end? 
how does the enslavement of Africans by indigenous people end? Does it end with the end of the Civil War? Yes, ma'am. So at the end of the Civil War, uh, groups such as the Choctaw or the Cherokee or the Creek or the Chickasaw or the Seminole, um, who all had uh, enslaved Africans, uh, have to negotiate new treaties with the federal government. And in those treaties, they're required to um, end slavery and and to admit those people, their formerly enslaved people, into Native citizenship because they're still sovereign nations at the end of the Civil War, right? So in 1865, the Choctaw Nation is still a sovereign nation with a principal chief, with a legislature, with um, a judicial system. And so they're forced to try... Uh, to reincorporate those people into Choctaw society as citizens, and they're going to fight really hard against it. And in the Choctaw case, they're going to try to limit the rights that uh, formerly enslaved um, people of African descent have in Choctaw Nation. I would assume there was uh, intermingling. Yeah, yeah, there, there is, there is um, interracial, there are interracial sexual relationships that happen, but the Choctaw Nation also passes a law to prevent those relationships. So, the again, the idea, I, I think a lot of folks want there to be this, again, this allyship, this alliance together, but the Choctaws pass, they pass laws to prevent interracial sexual relationships between um, Choctaws and um, enslaved people of African descent. And so you are going to be talking about this today at noon for History is Lunch for the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. Very interesting and a perspective I think a lot of us don't spend, when we think of the Civil War, this aspect doesn't really come to mind. Well, that is exactly what I, I, I'm happy to hear, because part of what I argue is that we should think about these other aspects, and that even though people write lots and lots of books about the Civil War, there are still parts of the Civil War that haven't been explored and aspects that uh, most of us aren't familiar with. So I hope this is an opportunity to share a little bit of that history with um, the audience at the archives. And just one quick question. Were there Native Americans fighting with Union soldiers? There, so there were, uh, so for instance, in, uh, in the Cherokee nation, they split, they officially ally with the Confederacy, but they also internally have kind of a civil war, which actually has, ties to removal. I mean, the the political divisions have ties to removal. But some of the um, Cherokees go and fight alongside uh, the Union, go fight with the Union soldiers. The Choctaws are really interesting because they're pretty unified and committed in their allegiance to the Confederacy. Like the Confederate officials say, these of all of the native, of all of the native in Indian Territory, the Choctaws are our most faithful allies. And the Choctaws seem to behave in a really unified manner towards, um, in, in their alliance with the, with the Confederacy. But yes, there are Native 
people who fight with the Union Army. I see. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak with you, Faye Yarbrough, a professor of history and associate dean of humanities for undergraduate programs and special projects at Rice University. Thank you again for um, this fascinating discussion. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.